Well, throughout this week, the travel writer Mike Parker has been discovering the many different stories which maps can tell, from maps of cities and road networks to those which chart our everyday lives and concerns. Today, he discovers how cartography can lie and twist the truth, as he turns his attention to maps which are used as tools of power, politics, and propaganda. What we've got here are three maps showing Israel or not. It's a winter afternoon in Oxford, and I'm hidden away among the book stacks deep in the Bodleian Library. Shelf after shelf of maps all around me, extending away into the darkness. You could probably get lost in here for days, but fortunately I have a guide, Nick Milley, curator of maps at the Bodleian. And by the light of a reading lamp on the table in front of us, Nick's showing me some maps which demonstrate just how political and subjective cartography can be. We have a map of the Middle East, a road map of the Middle East. Not the road map to peace, is it? No, this one I think predates the road map to peace. So it's a road map of the Middle East, and here we have the whole of the Middle East. Israel is shown as Palestine, so the name Israel doesn't appear on the map at all. No. But Palestine does. So that's a, just an interesting one for starters. I think the date of this one is, let's check somewhere down here, 1994. So it's relatively recent. Yes. Another one from the same publisher is simply a map of Jordan. Can you see Israel mentioned anywhere there? The name's not on there at all, Palestine is it? isn't there, but at least you've got borders. Yes. Unlike this next one, which is a Jordanian-produced map from 1981. It's a map of Jordan, it's in both English and in Arabic, and you can follow the Jordanian borders round. You get to the Gulf of Aqaba down here, and look where the border goes. Oh, right across Sinai. Yes. There's no indication that there may be a country <laughs> called Israel there at all. There's no boundary. It's just Jordan. And that's the power of maps. Don't like another country? Disagree with its right to exist? No problem. Just leave it off the map. We like to think of maps as essentially true, universal and objective. In fact, they're often anything but. Maps can lie. They can twist our perceptions and play on our fears and prejudices. The problems I find with maps in the Middle East is they're often just wrong. Veteran foreign correspondent Robert Fisk has encountered plenty of maps over the years which have been either weapons of war or casualties of it. Uh, for example, during the civil war in Lebanon, I discovered that a lot of the roads in the south of Lebanon were simply not where they were supposed to be. And there were roads which weren't on the map. And the reason was that in Lebanon, which was so sectarian, many of the um, map makers had not attempted to visit the places they were mapping on the grounds it was too dangerous for them. And so, for example, I ended up drawing my own maps of southern Lebanon simply because they were more accurate than the official ones issued by the Lebanese government or even the original ones drawn up by the French. What I constantly reflect upon um, is that my father was a soldier, much older than my mum. He was in the First World War. And in the 17 months that followed the end of the First World War and the Treaty of Versailles, uh, we, the victors, basically the British and the French, we drew the borders of Northern Ireland, Yugoslavia, and most of the Middle East. And I spent my, almost my entire professional career in Belfast to begin with, then in Beirut, and then, of course, in Bosnia and uh, Kosovo, and, and, of course, in Baghdad, and in, well, Palestine in quotation marks. 
uh, watching the people in those borders burn. And I think that where you draw a border can be extremely lethal. I think natural borders like that between, say, France and Germany along the Rhine are one thing. But false borders drawn through villages, across tribal lines, they create chaos. And they create chaos mostly for the people who live there, not for the people who draw those borders. Well, there's an old saying that I think that a, a preponderance of straight lines uh, is a a sure guarantee of absentee boundary making yeah, yeah. done back in the offices of uh, uh, London or Paris. Dr Richard Schofield is a specialist in international boundary disputes at King's College London. Of course we all hear the nice stories. Uh, Winston's hiccup, uh, the eastern extension of Jordan, meeting up with the Iraq frontier that sort of juts out to the east. And there was a rumour at the time that uh, Winston Churchill, then of the colonial office, uh, actually hiccuped and his pencil went woo like that and <laughs> jutted out to the east. Probably not true, but it's a good story. Powerful governments drawing apparently arbitrary lines on the map with a ruler in Set Square have caused a lot of dispute and bloodshed over the years. But ironically, swords can also be drawn when somebody doesn't put a line on the map. Take this example from three years ago. A diplomatic crisis has erupted after 15 British servicemen were seized at gunpoint by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard while on patrol in the Gulf. The Foreign Office is demanding their immediate and safe return. Iran claimed that they'd captured the British sailors after they strayed into their territorial waters. The British government disagreed, of course, saying that the sailors had remained in Iraqi waters, which the Navy was free to sail in. Well, the point was that the territorial waters in the region had never been defined. So each state was a little disingenuous in suggesting that each had trespassed into their particular areas. No boundary had been defined. But the clamour from the media was such that the Cabinet Office came up with a map which actually did show a territorial waters boundary with the same force as the proper band, the boundary proper to the north, which kept the media happy and there was no doubt in the media's mind at the time that yes the incident had happened on uh, the Iraqi side of a line but really it was a rather, rather disingenuous and the part the British government ended up partially apologizing for the issue of that map yeah. around a year or so later. Representing hotly disputed international boundaries is just one challenge for map makers. Here's another. How do you take a spherical planet and show it on a two-dimensional piece of paper? Cartographers like to compare it with peeling an orange. If you take the peel and lay it out flat, however you arrange it, you just can't make it into a neat rectangle. That is basically the dilemma of the map maker, that he has to make something distort in order to make a map. So any flat map that we may look at is immediately wrong in terms of its shape or its scale or something. Cartographer Terry Hardacre has spent a lot of his career thinking about projections, which is the term mapmakers use for this conundrum of flattening out our planet to represent it in two dimensions. Probably the most famous projection was devised in the 16th century by Flemish cartographer Gerardus Mercator. He laid out the planet's land masses over a series of parallel lines of longitude. Because, in reality, longitude lines meet at the poles, this projection means that on the map, the closer you get to the poles, the more enlarged and exaggerated countries become. And then what Mercator did to 
counterbalance that exaggeration of scale towards the poles, he pulled progressively the lines of latitude out um, so that the further you go north, the exaggeration of the pulling out of the longitude is matched by the uh, pulling out of the lines of latitude. And that goes on to the point of the pole, which actually you never reach because it goes to infinity. But since navigators in the 16th century didn't need to go to the pole, that map was suitable and it had one wonderful quality, which was that uh, directional lines on the map, you want to go from A to B, you could get a compass bearing on that and it would be the correct compass bearing. So it served the purpose. That map then got into all the atlases and publications of the day and strayed from being just a mariner's map to a general purpose map. On the Mercator projection, Northern Europe, the USA and Canada dominate the map at the expense of equatorial landmasses like Africa and Asia, carrying subliminal messages about the relative importance of each. And in the British Library in London, I encounter an even more loaded example of the Mercator projection, a world map produced for the American market by Esso in 1944. Intriguingly, and despite the fact that the Second World War was still being fought when it was printed, it's clearly looking ahead to the post-war power struggle. Peter Barber is head of map collections at the British Library. You see a map of the world which is centred on the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union is presented in such a way that it really dominates the map. It does. It, it occupies over three quarters of the width of the map, and it of course covers Eastern Europe. And so, without Esso needing to say it, it is actually announcing the coming of the Cold War. Yes. Just as we were in alliance with the Soviet Union and pushing towards Berlin, and this sort of projection continued to be used by the National Geographic and by official American sources right the way through the Cold War. So always overemphasizing the, the Soviet, Soviet Union and the threat yeah, from the Soviet uh, Union. But appearing to do so from the standpoint of objective reality. Yes. This is though quite cunning because, you know, the map does appear to be a fairly objective statement of what the world is really like. Oh, absolutely. You'd believe that map. You would. And the great thing is, you know, it doesn't say a word about the threat from the Soviet Union no. in, in print. By the middle of the 20th century, the Mercator projection was going out of fashion, and cartographers began to devise new projections which gave fairer and more accurate representations of the world. One of the most famous, and certainly the most controversial, was created not by a cartographer, but by a German historian. Arno Peters was concerned about historical timelines which telescoped the distant past and concentrated, therefore, on recent history. So, in order to give people the long view, he devised a timeline which gave equal weight to every single year from 4000 BC to the present day. This got him thinking that maybe he could apply the same idea to geography, so that every country in the world was shown its actual size relative to every other country. This equal area projection gave to Arno Peters' mind a more truthful map. Terry Hardacre of Oxford Cartographic worked with Arno Peters, and the company still prints and distributes the Peters projection today. So what we see in this Peters map is a very funny shape. As you go towards the poles, all the countries are squashed. So if we look at Greenland, it's become uh, yes. as though it's bumped up against the buffers and squashed itself. <laughs> On the other hand, over across the equator, He's pulled, he's stretched the map 
out north and south so that Africa looks as though it's like wet washing on the line. It's hanging down. It's all elongated. Um, so Peter's projection has one great quality, that it is equal area. Now that means whatever country you want to select in this map, you can compare it with any other country and it is the correct area. That's what an equal area map is. So you can get, a, you can get an immediate take on how big, I mean, here Paraguay is compared with Botswana, compared with Turkey. Absolutely. So Peter's map was immediately seized upon by certain um, international organisations and educationalists and so on um, to counteract this myth of maps that had been going on for hundreds of years and was proclaimed as the map of our time. Well, it was certainly the map of my time. As a student in the 80s, I had it on my wall, between a coal not doll placard and some knick-knack from the Nicaragua Solidarity Campaign. It was the cartographic equivalent of Doc Martin boots, and it kicked me out of my Ordnance Survey-induced comfort zone to remind me that maps are, by definition, political. Journalist Robert Fisk. I think one of the things that you have to realise is that once you draw a border, once you draw a line on the map... It has an indefinable quality of staying there. It has a permanence the moment you have drawn the line. That becomes the border between Kuwait and Iraq or Lebanon and Syria or whatever it may be. To, to draw a border is quite easy. To get rid of a border is a major political crisis. So when you're actually drawing these things, it's a bit like doing an oil painting. It's meant to last. And on Monday, we'll discover how atlas makers reflect those borders, especially disputed ones, and keep up to date with constantly changing political situations right across the world. On the Map was presented by Mike Parker. The series is produced in Wales by Jeremy Grange.